Hi, and welcome back to Lovely Travels Podcast, where we talk about all things travel and adventure while raising awareness for mental health. Today, we have a great chat between Emma and a fellow intrepid traveller. Hey, Darius, that's right. Yeah, I spoke with the wonderful Danielle Colley from Your Good Life about her epic Kilimanjaro trip, uh, where she raised money for Rafiki Mwema. Uh, You also climbed Kilimanjaro, right? I did, all 5,895 metres of it. And uh, we've got it in the show notes today, actually, a video from both of us. So we both made videos after our trips and I love sharing them. I cry every time and um, they're just something really special to look back on. So make sure to watch those as well. I can't wait to watch it. Um, You guys also talked a little bit about uh, doing charity challenges in general. Yeah, so like a charity challenge is taking on an adventure and or challenge and raising money for charity. And I'm a big fan of travel with a purpose and doing like an epic challenge while raising funds for a good cause. So personally, I've done about nine now. Not sure uh, Danielle wants to quite rack up the same number, but you'll have to listen to the episode to uh, to hear why. <laughs> that sounds great. Uh, let's get into it and um, have fun, everyone. Enjoy. All right, so here with me today, I have Danielle, and I want uh, her to tell us a bit more about herself because she's an amazing speaker, and uh, we have lots of stories to get into, but it's uh, first and foremost, tell me a bit more about you, Danielle. Hey, Emma. Thanks for having me. I'm Danielle Colley. I'm an integrative life coach and founder of Your Good Life. I help successful women in business who are feeling dissatisfied with their lives to reach their full potential by helping them to transition from who and where they are now to who and where they desire to be. And transition is what we were talking about a bit off air just now. So uh, I know that that's something that you're really passionate about as well. I am in my other life, no, my, in my one life, I'm a personal branding specialist, so it's very much what I'm about. And the thing I love about travel is, and you might have found the same, is I feel like I am my truest self um, when I'm travelling. The connections I've made when I've travelled have felt so real to the point where the people, you know, I met them 16 years ago, uh, really dancing on a table somewhere, we're still mates, you know, and, and to the, you know, you go... I don't really remember how I know you. Like someone goes, how do you know them? You're like, I don't really know, but they're awesome and they're my friend and they're the person who just pops up in your life from time to time and I just, I've loved that. Um, So that's why I enjoy travelling because I feel me. I think that there is something about being away from all responsibilities. So while when you're travelling, you know, you don't have the everyday pressure uh, that you have in your normal life. So it's something about... You, you get to bring out the truest essence of you with, without all of the extra like blah, blah in, in the background, you know, all the things that we are always thinking about. You can just also when you're meeting people all the time, they don't have the context of who you are. So yeah. you can actually be whoever you want when you're traveling. You know, you can be much more gregarious than you normally are because uh, you have that sort of sense of freedom. Yeah, I think it's like especially when you're younger. I did my first big travel when I was 18 and it was like such an important thing because uh, like coming out of high school and all your connections and a lot of your, you know, you're tied back to your family or your high school or your part-time job. So you fit into those boxes 
and then to go away and travel and to just be whatever and all of those life experiences to come together at such a young age was awesome for me mm. and I think um, that's why it's not the only reason I love I love seeing new stuff and eating yummy food and eating <laughs> yummy food yeah food. absolutely look I started tra- I mean I've traveled always with my parents so um but I did my first big trip on my own at 18 also but I think the best gift my dad ever gave me was a one-way ticket when I was 21 um and then he gave me a few internal flights uh like he said Mm. here's your one-way ticket you've got a few internal flights that you can cash in and then when you're ready to come home I'll bring you home again and that uh, seriously I think every parent should give that to their kid because I learned more in that two years Mm -hmm. than I learned in my entire you know high schooling career I think yeah yeah it's funny I was um when I was in year 12, I, my dad offered to take me to India. Dad's are great for these things. Dad offered, it was going to a conference and said, oh, do you want to come with me? And uh, we'd actually gone through a pretty crappy time in our family recently, so it was a good time. And uh, my English, year 12 English teacher said to me, do you really think it's a good time in your final year of high school to be going uh, to India? And I was like, um, let me just think about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. And, like, subsequently I've gone on to visit India ten times and even partner with a business. And, like, it's not all about that, but, like, it, it did. It, like, ended up opening this door for me and opening this world for me and meeting all these people and that's the biggest. I love the connections. That and I think it's a significant like, point actually because uh, a lot of kids, you know, in, in high school uh, place so much emphasis, they place so much pressure on that final year of school and, it really kind of, it shows, I think for me, that there is so much more out there in so many ways, you know. Um, Travelling is a really fantastic education and, I, you know, I take my kids as often as I can to all sorts of places um, because for me personally, my geography was crap until I started travelling. Yeah. <laughs> and now the places that I've been to, my geography is excellent and if I haven't been there, then my geography is still crap. So I need to go everywhere in order to be very good. <laughs> that's, my, well, that's my theory. That's my logic, yeah. I just need to, be, I just need to study more. Um, but, uh, well, the same. I went to uh, the only thing I knew about Persian history was Xerxes and the Greeks and, the, you know, that that the Persians fought Sparta, basically that sort of era. That's it for Persia. Well, I went to Bahrain. I went to the National Museum. I mean, Persian history, like there's so many things we get from that area, Mm -hmm. from that region, and unfortunately because of the wars in that area, we have a pretty sort of not great view of it, but like so much stuff that we have. And pearls come from Bahrain and like the industry was massive and the trade, trade was massive from that region. I would not have learnt that nor been as interested had I, and that's an afternoon, you know, mm-hmm. but it opened up an, a new world to me. Um, and not everybody has the opportunity, but, like, that's why museums are amazing. Absolutely. And it's a completely different form of learning, reading it in a book, right? Um, yeah. And, and that's the thing. It's sort of much more immersive, more memorable, unless... Yeah. Unless you're talking about the Rijks Museum in Amsterdam and you go after you've been smoking joints because I have to say, <laughs> I have to say that probably more forgettable for me because that's <laughs> completely my own doing. <laughs> I was going to 
I went to the Rack Smith Theatre. Like, like, I remember. Okay. I, no, I didn't go under those conditions. Uh, I don't remember that bit. Uh, it's different. I remember a beautiful skirt in the gift shop. Maybe there's something different about me. But, um, well, look, I, I specifically know that you're full of amazing stories and you're such an engaging and entertaining person, but you have a very particular story that uh, tickled my fancy uh, because we have a common achievement which is that we've both climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. Yes, but the, the thing that stands us apart, which I find very interesting, is when I asked you if you would do it again, you said in a heartbeat, and I was like, no way, no way, one and done. Yeah, I went in 2011 and it was my first challenge of that type. So, yeah, it could have made, like, made or break, made, oh, I don't know, could have been, like, Stop me from doing anything like that ever again. But instead, it just gave me a taste for it. And I've subsequently gone on to do many charity challenges. So um, a charity challenge is where you take on challenge and raise money for charity. And Kilimanjaro is probably one of the more well-known ones in that category. But, uh, you yeah, know, I've actually been almost offered to tour lead it again. Mm. And I've said if the opportunity comes up, I would toilet it in a second because wow. uh, I loved it. Amazing. Have the other ones that you've done for charity been as challenging or has that been the most challenging? Yeah, Kokoda. <laughs> was, uh, I did Kokoda last year and that was brutal and they're just so different. Um, Kilimanjaro, is, as you know, there's six ecosystems. So you go from like walking in your shorts to wrapped up in snow gear, uh, whereas Kokoda is different in that you're dealing with rain, um, humidity, mud, sweat, like it's dirty, it's hot. It's uh, like just... I would complain a lot. <laughs> and it's different in that like with the mountains, the nice things about the mountains are even like I did Everest Base Camp as well. You've got a goal, you're going to a spot, and although Kokoda Trail has a start and a finish, every single day is uppity-downy, uppity-downy, uppity-down. The next day is up and down, up and down, up and down. Like a bit more up and then a bit more down. A little bit up, a little bit down, they say, which is BS because it's up, super up, super down. And so that's challenging because with at least with Kilimanjaro, you're going towards and you can literally see yeah. it. Do you have the incredible views on Kokoda? Because that's the, I mean, Kilimanjaro had some stunning views. And to be honest, I loved the walking, the daily, the daily, um, Miles were fine for mm. me. I was the fittest I'd ever been um, and was super prepared. I had trained in an oxygen tank. Like I was really, oh, yeah, I was super like, yeah, I got a gold star for that. Um, so that part was fine. I hate camping. I hate the cold. I was okay with the whole thing. For me, it was the summit, you know, that that summit night of getting up at 11 o'clock at night and walking through the night to the sunrise was one of the most challenging things that I've ever done up there with giving birth. Like it was, and it had a similar range of emotions that I can't do this anymore. I'm, uh, uh, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm tortured. (laughs) Like, can I just stop now to, I've got this, I can do this, you know? Um, Yeah. But yeah, it, it, it certainly had the whole gamut of emotions for me. Yeah, I oh know. Look, Summit Night was the hardest thing I'll ever do in my life. Yes. 100%. Right. Hands down. And I've done a bunch of other challenges. Um, Kokoda was challenging in a different way. Unfortunately, I didn't have a very good leader. We'll have a Kokoda episode. I'll go into that in more detail. Uh, 
talk the talk but didn't walk the walk. So, um, really but you had to piggyback them. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank God I didn't. I, I just like CrossFit police officer. Oh, you did enough. <laughs> yeah. As I've said to a lot of people, I'm like, just just giving you a picture. Yeah. Great. We got it. Great. So, and a friend said that. And there were days where we had really amazing views, but not to the degree that you have on Kilimanjaro. Kilimanjaro was like, and you had the goal just visual all the time, pretty much all the time. With Kokoda, like being in the jungle, like it literally does sort of, it's that mind thing of you're in the dark, you're, all you can see is the ground. It's you, I can't tell you if you showed me photos from five of the days where we were yeah. because it looks the same and it's beautiful and it's lush and green, but if that's all you can see, yeah. it, it's a real mind. I was about to say, it sounds like it's much more of a, a mind challenge of, you know, keeping um, keeping your positivity, keeping your, you know, your focus in the right place. Um, yeah, and getting to those lunch spots or, or a view and being at that, the challenge with my leader was that we didn't really have that time and even to stop in the rainforest and to stop in that jungle that felt like it was that and go, I'm in the jungle, like, wow. We weren't having those times to stop and appreciate and breathe, which I loved on Kilimanjaro. The guides are so amazing in pacing you and supporting you and making you go slow from day one. Like it teaches you a lot about. We had some interesting people in our in our group. We had a couple of people with some stuff to prove. Um, okay. So uh, dashed off ahead. Um, we lost, we lost a couple of people to, uh, we didn't lose them, they didn't die, but we lost a couple of people <laughs> to altitude sickness. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I succumbed to altitude sickness on the last, on the, on the summit. Um, mm. but powered through because they said I would die if I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gotta love that message. motivated by that. <laughs> the walking yeah I was surprised too I um I thought I was going to struggle every day and I thought it was the walking and the fatigue of the walking that was going to be my biggest challenge and the way my the company I'd gone with had sort of struck the fear of God into me about like if you don't break in your boots and if you don't have this and if you don't have that um the only biggest downfall I had was not a woman or sleeping bag but um I was surprised by how much I enjoyed every day, mm. the walking and the views. Um, so, yeah, I'm just, yeah, I was like it was such a polarising thing of some people love it and want to do it again. And so you you did enjoy the experience. but I, Look, I absolutely enjoyed the experience. For me, I mean, I had been, um, you know, a, a single mum for a few years and I had turned 40 that year. So I wanted a challenge. You know, I was sort of questioning some stuff about my life, my purpose, all that sort of thing. So I really wanted to have like some kind of experience, some kind of challenge, not just to mark my 40th birthday, but I really wanted to go and like see if I could have an epiphany on top of a mountain, (laughs) Um, something along those lines. And the experience itself, I mean, it changed me, you know, it it absolutely changed me. I made uh, a couple of really good friends, one of whom I still speak to regularly. I, I, you know, I caught up with her a couple of weekends ago um, and and did some yoga. So, you know, the experience was super profound. And to be able to say I did that, you know, I climbed the highest freestanding 
mountain um, on the planet. I reached summit. Not everybody does. Um, I have photos of me smiling, which is remarkable. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I created a video, which I'm really proud of. um, And I raised money for a charity, which I'm really passionate about. So, you know, all of those things, you know, that tick, 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 that is a life achievement. So for sure, I can, I can see all the merit of it. It it, it just doesn't matter. Like I, would I do it again? Like if I could go back, yes, I would do it again. Would I do it again moving forward? No. Like my mountaineering boots, are, I've have, I'm hanging up my mountaineering boots. <laughs> <laughs> well, my friend who did Kelly with me, and she probably, I hope she listens to this, Miss Fee, um, has said that a few times and I've ended up got, got her to Bhutan. Yeah, right. Uh, and she's, but she's hung them up again. Uh, and what she does is she doesn't just literally hang them up. At the end of the trip, she gives all of her stuff away to the locals, which yeah, is lovely yeah, and beautiful. generous and yeah, that's how That's how determined she is and then she forgets. Again, it's like wildness. You forget, you know. Yeah. Then she goes and buys it all again. And I'm like, do you do you really want to get up? No, never again. I'm one, I'm like, I'm okay, one. Cool. Look, I would do Nepal in a heartbeat. I, You know, when I went to Nepal last, I didn't get to do any trekking, you know. I just uh, I, I did a bit of like quick in and out. I did Kathmandu. I did some sort of stuff around to the, the you know the base of the Himalayas and stuff. I didn't get to do any of the amazing um, trekking that there is there, where you get to sleep in a bed at night if you're lucky, you know. And um, and that I think would be a, a really profound experience. I would like to do that with my kids when they're a bit older. I think that's a really cool family adventure. Or maybe actually, mm-hmm. no, I just it, I had one image. It was us, like you know, like the von Traps, and then another. It <laughs> was totally like them bitching at me the whole time about no Wi-Fi. So I might have to reconsider <laughs> reconsider that family trip. Well, it's funny. I actually took my dad because I did Everest Base Camp and then I took my dad and he's never done trekking before, had never done trekking before in 2017. So he was 62, mm-hmm. never done trekking, and we flew into Lukla and uh, and then we did five days from there up to Namte Bazaar, so part of the Everest route. And, yeah, it was really, really wonderful to take someone and share that but like he ended up spending six or seven hundred dollars on his Telstra plan trying to check things whilst up there so I accepted someone who's always on social media and online accepted there was no wi-fi uh he did not uh so there's a lesson but also he I've you know you can't explain and you've done it the fatigue of altitude and the fatigue elevation what's the elevation of Everest base camp base camp Oh, base camp, you get up to 5,300 metres. Yeah, but um, but where we were, the highest we went was just over 3,000. But on the first day we went from 2,400, actually go down a little bit, up and down a little bit, um, to stay at a place called Pupting. And he just, we did about four and a half hours and he just got in, sort of like stumbled in, you know, face drained of colour, it's like, hey, Dad, you got to eat, and I like had to like take his bag off for him, and like he reached for the teacup and spilt it, and it's just it's, it's like, like drunk. you can't believe, yeah. you know, yeah. He's like, I don't want to eat, I don't want to eat, and I'm like, you, ha- you know, I took the pair and roll, and like you have to eat, mm. we just have to have a little bit, mm. and we can do this, and it was just really, but it was a wonderful thing to take someone on, and like it's to to see into your what you've done. I think that's a really nice thing to to have a taste. And you don't have to do the whole thing. Like, 
there was no way dad's going to Everest Base Camp. So you can do portions of the treks and I think that's I a really think lovely. that any time, like it's really easy to, and I, I'm not judging any type kind of travel, anyone who gets out of their normal, um, you know, everyday life and travels anywhere, kudos to you, right? Because there's a whole big world out there. Some people like to go to resorts, some people, you know, and I like to go to resorts, not judging anyone there. Like, you know, hit me up. I love a resort. I love a breakfast <laughs> buffet, man. Um, but I think that when you get off the beaten track and you do something that is a little out of the ordinary or a little bit challenging, I think that the 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 reward for that kind of travel is a very different kind of reward to lying on a beach and drinking a pina colada. <clears throat> they both have merits, but it's it's about having like a, a, a few different kinds of experiences to to draw upon because I know that the times where I've done more challenging things are the ones where I've not only had the education of the different countries or the education of the different cuisines or the languages or the people, but I've also had the education of myself in those circumstances. And that, for me, that is the essence of travelling, is, you know, learning more about who you are. Yeah, and I call it travel with a purpose and it's um, so... It's so need holidays and you so need relaxation. But like, yeah, as you said, that just the fulfillment, um, the sense of doing something that's bigger than you, mm. so much bigger than you, like getting that. And then, yeah, the time to think and be with your mind when you're trekking for seven days. How long was yours? Mine was seven days. Yeah. Yeah. So seven days with your brain. Yeah. Like, cause you, you talk to people, but like, there's a, still, a lot of time in the day where you get. I didn't to shut up. It was actually a, it was actually a thing. People were like, "Would you just shut up?" <laughs> You're like, "No." I was like, like "No, I'm tired thoughts. and I'm really, really challenged right now." And the way I'm just going to get through this is just like talking shit the whole time. <laughs> and they're like, "Please talk to the guy at the front. <laughs> talk to the." And I, I, that's what I do. I'm like, "Oh, if you guys can't cope with talking right now, I'll talk to the." Well, it's funny because the, the the girl that I, who I said that I um, met up with last week or whatever turns out that we were in very similar social circles 20 years ago you know we knew a lot of the same people we had dated like guys in the same group you know so we had we had so many similarities that um we you know it was really it was really entertaining conversation as well and you know deeper stuff as because we were there um as you mentioned we were there for Rafiki Rafiki Mwema we were there raising money for them and a large percentage of us went after after you know finishing the mountain we actually went and we stayed there they don't um take people to stay there any longer that was before they changed that um and you know we I got to go and hug my sponsor child you know which was a really really profound way to end such an epic trip you know I was bone weary I was, you know, I had that sense of achievement and the sense of like, oh, my God, I can't believe I did it. You know, a bit of blistered lip action going on yeah. from the frost. Winter. Yeah, fully. And and then got to go and say, hey, you know, we we just, because yeah, they were following the whole way along because one of their um, oh. one of their managers, Eric, he, he came with us. So um, they were following the whole way along and he unfortunately got altitude sickness and couldn't make it. Our, you know, our lion heart, our, you know, he was, he was our African, our African, uh, young African, like, uh, lion. We were sure that he would be the first one up there. But um, there's just no telling, is there, without altitude no. sickness? It's just who gets it on the day. Yeah. 
But so yeah, t- can you tell me? And it's funny, I've actually got um, Rafiki Moema affirmation oh, cards. Good. On my the affirmation desk. cards are so beautiful. beautiful, so beautiful. Um, yeah, uh, Rafiki Moema. I will put all this in the show notes. But they have a beautiful shop. It's a great way to support them. Can you just tell us a bit about what they do? Sure. So Rafiki Moema. Uh, when I first uh, got you know got to know them, they were a a safe house for girls who'd been victims who were victims of violent sexual crimes in Kenya. And over the time, you know, when I first met them, they just had a little house in town and uh, and I actually wrote an article about them for Women's Weekly. And the second I got off the phone from Sarah, I, I had to go to the park across the road and cry. I was so um, touched and moved by hearing about her passion and, and the way that they were changing these little girls' lives because the, the stigma attached with being a victim of violent sexual crime in Africa is horrific and what was happening to these small girls was, you know, it, it just completely inhumane, unfathomable for for us. Mm-hmm. And their future is is pretty pretty daunting after that's happened to them. And you know, they they were looking at girls as young as one who had been um, you know sold by their mums for sex. So now they you know now they have a farm. Uh, they were very generously uh, given a farm by a beautiful couple called the Doyles. And they have created this compound. So now they have boys and girls in separate houses. They have little girls and big girls. They keep them all sort of in their own groups, but they are indeed one big family because a lot of them don't haven't had that family experience, whether it's due to abuse or poverty or, you know, drugs, whatever. So uh, they, they are schooling, raising, loving, feeding, I think it's like 75, 80 kids right now, um, if not more. Mm. So, um, you know, if anyone has, you know, uh, some some spare cash that they want to sponsor a child, I know that um, it's like 100% donation goes to the um goes to the organization, goes to the children um for their care and all of the running of the facility of the um office works and stuff here is is taken care of by the shop i think yeah Yeah, so um that's cool yeah so you know you can you can uh support rafiki from as little as um you know five dollars a month which is with their outreach program so every child i mean the the first prize is to be able to get them back into their community but in order to do that as i said the stigma of what's happened to them is often pretty um it's very very challenging for them to go back into their community and remain safe so um, so if they do find a family member or someone that a child can go and live with, they are, they're constantly checking on them to ensure that they remain safe and if not, then they go straight back to straight back to um, to the compound. Oh, it's beautiful and um, I know that they also run, you know, for the Australian audience, they run trauma workshops right. and like education mm-hmm. because, like trauma happens in many different ways and so taking uh there's one of the boys uh i believe peter. you come over yeah yeah peter and he shares um some information on that i was actually signed up to go to one because they're down at lennox which is not far from where i live in the gold coast and um i signed up to go to one and i, I didn't end up getting to go which is such a shame but i'm super interested because it's just something to understand how to communicate 
people who've been through trauma or to understand what they might be going through. It doesn't mean you have to be a counsellor or psychologist or whatever. It's just to be like, okay, there's trauma here. Well, often people are scared to, to, to talk about it because they're scared they're going to say the wrong thing. Um, yeah. So they just pretend that nothing's going down. So, um, yeah, but having a greater understanding of what happens to the brain in trauma I think is a very valuable education for anyone. Um, what the what um, Anne-Marie Tipper has um, um, formulated or, or grown over time is the, her, her play therapy, which uh, mm-hmm. really um, is a super powerful tool in helping to help the children to understand what's happened to them, to communicate um, what's happened to them and to, you know, put them on the path to healing. So. Oh, it's so beautiful that you got to go there. And look, I know a lot of people would be interested to go, but like it's such a great I understand the stance that um that Sarah has taken Absolutely. and the organization has taken yeah. because coming in and out of having people come in and out of your life after you've been through trauma and people, you know, leave again, that's some of the big challenges. And um, you know, we can be observers and we can understand work without having to always physically go there and you can still, Rafiki Moema are still running challenges. So there's a way that you can be physically involved by doing a challenge like Danielle did and raising money and being very active like that, mm-hmm. um, you know, without having to, you know, it's such a respect for the children to not go and then re-traumatise or, or add any other further elements to their process. So I, I totally, uh, Sarah did a sort of Q&A on it last year I was looking at it and I just said oh respect to you because it's um it was a yeah, big a decision it was a big decision you know and and the more um the more sort of um articles and education came out around the volunteerism as it's known uh the more articles and information that came out about it and the more they realized the impact that it was actually having yeah you know it, it became it became it became an easier choice them I think because even though volunteerism brings in some money um at what cost yeah and there's different ways like some of the organizations I've been with um Oxfam and World Vision and plan to their projects but we go as observers Mm. and we do go um I've also been to a place where I I just offered to go in Nepal I just offered to go to the school and to read to the children and um I went to one place and they said Oh, we will welcome you to come and see the school. We welcome to go around the school, but we won't take you into classes because we don't want to interrupt yeah. the children. And I was like, fair enough. Like, you know, um, I still got to go. I still got to understand the work that they were doing, but without interrupting the programming or, you know, there's, it's just I totally respect that and there's a place and a time for for volunteering and for using your skills. And actually on Kilimanjaro, I got the biggest lesson of my life from a friend who ran a fundraising agency. And uh, I was saying, I just want to like, next time I go to India, I just like want to do more. I just want to like get my hands dirty. And I just want to like, you know, like help some babies or build a house and like sort of do this stuff with my hands. (laughs) And he's like, so are you a builder? And I'm like, no. And he's like, so are you, do you have like nursing qualifications? But no, he's like, so like how are you like going to help with your hands and sort of explain that thing to me of like just being another pair of hands isn't necessarily always the best thing um and that he explained to me that my voice and my um skills in marketing and promotion which um I've done it had over the years my comms experience that's my power 
educating and helping people on how to fundraise or um, educating people on how to get their message out there, that's my strength and that's what I can use. It was really cool because, like, the next year I ended up volunteering my services to run a newsletter and do social media for a charity in, in, um, in Australia working with India and then I went to India and observed the programs and then shared it back. Amazing. And it was like he just put that message in. It was like use your skills, mm. understand your skills and, like, your skills of, of writing and communication, sharing stories. Such a valuable lesson because, I mean, we, we do want to help, you know, and, and we're, I'm seeing it now, you know, I'm um, watching the, the race riots, you know, super, super riled up right now about what's going on in the world, what's going on everywhere. And the fact is I don't know enough about it, you know. So mm-hmm. you know, I think um, understanding how we can help, understanding how we can't help, and with everything, and I think this is, you know, valid in, in all of those situations, educating yourself. Learn as much as you can. Learn more. Talk to people more. Sharing the information that you have and having appropriate action, taking appropriate action. And asking how you can help. And yeah. sometimes, like Rafiki and women, they need money. Yeah, they simply. They need money simply. to share for these yeah. children. Yeah. Like, they need voices to raise awareness about what they're doing and I love their message of I will not stay silent and it's even more powerful right now. Uh, I will not stay silent about their work. I will not stay silent about what's been happening. Getting that message out there is super important but they simply need money. Absolutely. And the sh- look, if you can't sponsor, you know, the shop has been a great way too. I think you can't sponsor or that's not the way you want to contribute I choose to purchase gifts and for myself as well. I've got a beautiful dress uh, through their shop. Um, you know, if you choose to do it that way, that's another great way. But uh, any organisation that you support or, or you want to help with, it's not necessarily like the bushfires we just had in Australia. All of Australia running to the bushfire zone was not a good call. Yeah. What they needed was funds or that we needed to ask the question, how do you, how can we help you? Uh, so, you know, it's not, you don't have to feel bad about asking how to help. Yeah. Um, so that those organizations get the best possible support. But I love it. So, so no trekking adventures planned. Not in the immediate up. future. I'm sticking to weekend bushwalks with my family. And, uh, and, you know, I, I hope that we'll be able to travel again soon um you know whether we're going to be doing some more stuff in australia or you know if the international borders open up be able to get out and about soon and have more adventures whether on foot or not you did have a pretty cool adventure last year i did i did yes i looked at some new york yes Uh, we just we got hitched in uh, central park which was super exciting didn't tell any of our friends and family just ran off with the children and uh put on some fancy clothes and went and did the thing. It was so exciting. It was excellent. And then um, hit up Hawaii in a resort, funnily enough, for a lovely <laughs> honeymoon. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's a honeymoon you're going to do that, but you d- you were running around New York and did a lot of, um, you know, kids got very hands-on education. Yeah, absolutely. There's some epic sightseeing in New York and it was my first time, even though I've done so much travelling everywhere, it was my first time to New York. So, uh, and I was like, I was plotting, how can we live here? What can we do? Oh, it's a world yeah, yeah. in itself. I'm happy like, that didn't, didn't <laughs> pan out now. It's, um, <sighs> yeah, everyone's had a tough few months. I know, and I totally wanted to. Actually, it's really weird. I've been to New York three times, always at the end of May. So I had a memory come up on Facebook 
was 11 years ago today. I was on a tour bus in New York with my brother. Six years ago, I was in a park, Central Park, doing a walk. And then it was like two years ago, um, Matt and I were in Times Square. And then like, so that was a bit of like, it was awesome. Be like, oh my gosh, that's yeah. all those times. And then to see photos of it right now was just like, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. It's a, it's a strange and funny time that we're living in. So it's wonderful to be able to travel through our memories. And thank you for going back through that trauma with me, <laughs> rehashing. But I watched, I'll, I will share the link uh, to both our videos actually in the show notes, um, watching your video and one of the most, the things I loved the most uh, you included, we both included in our videos was the singing and the, the singing of the African guides uh, as you're going up and it just takes me, uh, just the tears come. I know, away. it's goosebumps. I've got goosebumps just talking about it. Yeah, it's oh. super powerful, amazing. It, they're, they're amazing motivators and if anybody's thinking about doing it obviously once travels are safe and things like that I just can assure you that those guides are yeah phenomenal absolutely and absolutely and the whole experience you know if, if you have the opportunity to do it it's a one hell of an adventure there's no doubt about that <laughs> yeah you won't forget it <laughs> thank you so much for your time uh, you've been incredible uh, thank you thanks for having me and uh yeah we will uh Keep traveling through our memories at the moment. Cool. Thank you. Thanks for listening, guys. And look, a reminder as well, this podcast is not only about travel and adventure, but we're also raising awareness for mental health so it's really important to reach out for help if you're struggling at all but it's also important to reach out to your friends especially at this difficult time in the world and ask are you okay and if you're not okay and you need support in Australia you can call Lifeline on 131114 or I also recommend visiting the blackdoginstitute.org.au for some wonderful resources if you're outside Australia, search mental health support in your own country and do ask for help. It's, it's the first step and speaking with a professional can really help. Yeah. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Um, if you want to email us with feedback, questions, comments or gift baskets, uh, <laughs> at info at lovelytravels.com. Learn more about us and read the blog accompanying all these all these destinations. and interviews at www.lovelytravels.com and you can join in the conversation on social media instagram at lovely travels and our facebook group it's also called uh, you guessed it lovely travels and of course we want you to subscribe subscribe to the podcast and rate and review the show it helps our like-minded our like-minded people to find us and it lets us know that you love us because you know we know you do and we love you. Um, so tune in next week when we're off to the Netherlands and all the fried food and other goodness. Can't wait. See you then. Bye.